Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you. I'm going to read you a verse this morning without my glasses. Actually, I'm not because I can't see it. And I think that makes the point about vision. There are certain things about vision that you just need, you need clarity for it, and this helps with clarity. It's interesting, when I was, you know, I used to have what I would consider eyes like a hawk. No, not small, narrow, and with a big beak. That's not what I'm talking about. I could see everything from, I mean, from distance, and I would read things on little signs, and Marcy would say, you can see that. Yeah. But then I turned 40, and everything changed. And now I have, I have the privilege and the honor to wear these all the time. But vision, vision, that's what we're going to talk about today. And as I was preparing, I was thinking about the year that's upon us, 2020. It's a special year. It's a leap year. That's going to be fun. We celebrate as a church 30 years of ministry to the Temecula Valley. So that's, that's really special. That is a milestone to be celebrated. Uh, I, Marcy and I will begin our third year as your pastors. And I just let me just say from, the, from there, we're honored and humbled uh, to do what we do. We are blessed beyond words to be able to journey with you faith and see God working in your life and uh, just we're excited about what God has done and what God is going to do in the days that are ahead. But when I think about vision and as it relates to present, 2020 vision, what does that mean? That's a, that's a phrase that most of us are familiar with, 2020 vision. What is it? What is it? Well, <clears throat> that just simply indicates the clarity, hear this carefully, the clarity or the sharpness of one's vision measured at a distance of 20 feet. That's all it is. It's the, one more time, the clarity or sharpness of one's vision measured at a distance of 20 feet. So when you think about it, having 20-20 vision, now listen carefully, this does not mean that you have perfect vision. 20-20 vision only indicates the sharpness or clarity of a vision at a distance. That's all it means. So there's a couple of things that I just want to unpack from that. First is this. 2020 vision is not perfect. So what I'm going to share this morning in, is in no way perfect, or let me say it this way, complete. This is an ongoing journey. This is not something that we, we make today and we're finished with it, and then that's, that's all that we ever do from this point forward. No, it's developing. It's growing. It will, it will enhance. It will change. It will morph. We're believing that God will continue to direct us as time goes forward. Second, vision, 2020 vision indicates clarity at a distance. That's critical. I'm asking God for clarity today in 2019 on August 25th, but I'm also asking God for clarity in the year 2020 and beyond. I want to have God's 2020 vision for our church, and I want us to journey that together. What is vision? Vision, just as simply defined as I can, as I can make it, is what would be considered a preferable future. When you look at the future and you say, what is the vision for my life for the future? What's the most preferred? That's what vision is. So we want to chat about that. And why we exist as a church helps us understand what it means to us. Crossroads Church exists to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. Introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. A verse that anchors everything that we do when we talk about vision is Proverbs 29 and verse number 18. And Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says it very well. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And that's that second half I want you to hold on to. Blessed is, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction. I want to hear from God and I want to be obedient to what God is saying. Let's journey that together. When we talk about introducing people to Jesus and helping them follow him, it's more than, a, it's more than an 11-word phrase. It's, it's a guiding principle. It's a filter. And what I mean by that is what we want to do is we want to take that phrase, and as filters do, when you pour things through a filter, the only thing that you use is that which comes out on the other end, and that's what I want that phrase to be. For example, I can't think of anything better giving my life to than to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. 
I can't think of anything better for us as a church to do than to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. And with that being said, everything that we do will go through that as a filter. And frankly, there may be a lot of good things that simply don't come out on the other end. Because if it doesn't introduce Jesus, if it doesn't introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him, it's probably not something that is going to be the highest of priorities in my life or us as a church. Now, over the last couple of years, what I've done is I've used this, these numbers to help us unpack what that looks like. And I'm a very, I've mentioned this on numerous occasions, I'm a very linear thinker. I, I just kind of, I like to put, I like to put two after one and three after two. I don't like to, I don't like to mix them up. So I'm very linear in the way I process things. So I'm going to give you seven numbers. And I've talked about these before, but I want to go through them quickly to kind of give you an idea as what I mean about vision for us as a church. One, this I'm just talking about people being saved, people being saved. I was reading the scriptures some about two years ago, and I've read this passage numerous times. But it's in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can we believe that God would allow us to see people coming to faith Every day of the year, 365 days until Jesus comes. I believe that we can. One person saved per day. Ten, what is that? It's about planting churches and and partnering with churches so that they can reach into their communities. Right now, we're working with three churches on partnering. One of them is Long Beach, and we've been with Long Beach about six years, seeing God do some great things in Long Beach. This past week, they had their fall outreach, which they give away uh, backpacks. And they gave away 500 backpacks to kids in need this past week, filled with supplies and ready for school. And then 50 people gave their hearts to Jesus at the end of the night. Come on, that's worth saying thanks be to the Lord for what he's doing. That's great stuff. And something really exciting. They have 105 members, 105 partners, and average attendance is 163. That's it? That's the best we can do? No, we can do better than that. Come on. That is fabulous. What God has done. There were 12 people when it started. 12. Look what God has done. So we're ready to launch them. Ready to launch them out to be a sovereign congregation, fully independent status, and ready to reach Long Beach in all new ways. That's pretty cool. Then last summer, we were able to launch Pastor Enoch and Myrna Villarreal to the city of Fullerton along with Hector and Jackie Salcedo, and they're reaching into Fullerton and doing great things. <laughs> Enoch told me, uh, I say the other day, that could have been three months ago, so I'm not, a, it was the other day. The other day, he said, we are just having a blast. We're having the time of our life reaching into the city of Fullerton and seeing God do great things there. And this is brand new. They just started in January. And so they're on about a two-year journey to move into the same status where Long Beach is. And then there's a third, and you have the opportunity to to meet this guy from time to time. So Kyle, come and join me. Kyle, this is Legacy Church in Tustin. Come on, give him a hand. Big hand, big hand, big hand. So we're partnering with Kyle and their team. And Kyle, tell us just a tiny bit about what's going on in Tustin. Oh, man. Well, first, thank you so much for for having me and my wife, Brittany. Uh, she's at home with our four-month-old. It's a little difficult to get a four-month-old at five o'clock in the morning up and ready and out the door. So she's actually going to be with us next week. And next week, we're going to be sharing the entire vision of our church. But I got I to gotta agree with Enoch. This is easily the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> the highs are really high, and the lows are really low. But what's really cool is we have a church yeah. and a pastor that will walk beside us and, and come alongside us and help walk us through that. And so, guys, we're just so grateful for everything you're doing with us. Bless you, buddy. Appreciate it. And listen, don't miss next week because you're going to unpack the whole vision. You're going to hear what's going on in Tustin. That's exciting. But over the next 10 years, I'm believing God's going to allow us to do this 10 times. Okay, look, I'm just gonna, let me just get out. I'm going to get out ahead of this a little bit. I'm going to say a lot of opportunities. I'm going to give you a lot of opportunities for amen. So, like, be the first, okay? Get in there and Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun this morning, okay? Let's have some fun. Ten churches in the next ten years, then a hundred. What is that? This is disciples. And I, I believe that not only should we have a lot of people coming to faith in Christ, should we be planting churches, but we need to be making disciples, introducing people to Jesus and help them follow him. This is where life groups come in. I'm believing for a hundred life groups around the area. I'm believing for a hundred prayer partners. I'll talk about that more in a little bit. 
I'm believing for 100 people to be baptized every year, that just this becomes, and 100, did we need to stop there? Of course not. But I'm setting, I'm setting these in motion so that as we continue, we begin to look at these as milestones, as, as, dashboard, as dashboard indicators. These are things that we can look to markers as to what God is doing among us. Well, the 1,000. 1,000 is in attendance. Now, this past Easter, each of the three Easter's that Marcy and I have been privileged to be here, we have seen the church, we've seen attendance increase each year. This last Easter here in Temecula, we had 722. Grateful for that. I'm believing for our average attendance at some point in the near future to be 1,000 people every weekend. You say, but Gary, that's just kind of crazy talk. No, it's not, because there are tens of thousands of people in the Temecula, Murrieta Valley, all of the places that we reach that need Jesus Christ. Can we reach them all? Of course we cannot, but we are called to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. And I believe that we can see a thousand people every weekend on this campus raising their voices to the Lord and praise and worship and filling this altar, receiving Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing people healed, restored. I believe that. Believe that. And I want us to believe that together. What, what is the 10,000? That's influence. Every time that we walk out this door, we have the opportunity to influence somebody. And we do, we do that in a lot of different ways, whether it's on, online through our, through our YouTube feed, but also on social media. Amanda Sullivan does such an extraordinary job of our, of our social media side of things. And we are right now eclipsing the 10,000 people per month just on social media of influencing them. I'm grateful for that. But there's lots more opportunity there, 100,000. That's resources. Resources simply... To do what we do, it requires resource. So I'm believing for $100,000 a month initially, $25,000 a week. Now, we've had, some rough, we've had some rough times, but I'm pleased to say that 2018, we ended in the black. Grateful for that. God, God did some extraordinary things for us. We, had, we saw some miracles along the way for which we give God thanks but we ended the year in the black, and right now we are trending in 2019 to end the year in the black, and I am grateful for that. Not only that, there's another, there's another win you need, we need to celebrate. Last year I mentioned that we had a very difficult July, but I want to tell you something. This year we ended the month of July in the black. Last year we were not in the black. That is a win. We give, come on, folks, we got to give God thanks for what he's doing. And I want to say this to you. I want to say thank you for your faithful giving because it is because of your generosity that we are able to do what God is calling us to do. Keep pressing forward in generosity. God will bless you in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. And one more win on the financial side. It is, it is my hope that in those in, the, in each year, on the fifth Sundays of every, we have those four times a year, on the fifth Sunday, to give the entire offering away to missions. That's what I'm believing for. And in 2020, we're going to do that for the first time. We're selecting a, a fifth Sunday, and this is a faith statement, but everything that comes in on that day is going outside this door to one of our missionary organizations or to one of our missionary projects. I'm excited about that. I'm believing to do that eventually four times a year and that we will see this exponentially increase over a period of time. Last year at this point, we were subsidizing our missions budget at about $1,000 per month out of our general fund. But I'm here to report this morning right now, we have a margin, we have a margin in our missions giving, which means we are meeting all of our obligations and we have some to bless other missionaries. Once again, way to go, way to go, and thank you, Jesus, for what he's doing among us. But I believe, that's the 100000 I believe that by 2027, we can be giving a million dollars to missions every year. And that's impact. That's impact. You say, Gary, golly, this is just, this is nutty. Man, how can you, are you really? Absolutely. Because one of our core values is faith. And it's bold faith. I believe it's important that we would have faith and, and believe for God to do above and beyond just kind of what might be considered normal. So we, we talk about all of this, and how do we kind of implement all of this? Well, we do weekend services. You're here. You're part of that. We do life groups, our life group fair. I'm so pleased. I'm so blessed by all of our life group leaders. Thank you for being a part of all that we're doing. And here's what I want you to do. You need, here, I'm just going to say this. You need life groups. I'll say it again until we get everybody to say amen. Whether you believe it or not, I'm going to make you say amen. 
You need life groups. Why do you need them? Because it's in that environment where you can become, you're connected with people, but you get below the surface. Sometimes what happens, I love what happens on Sundays, on weekends, but most of the time what happens here is pretty surface. As far as relationships are concerned, you need them. But here's another thing, the life group needs you. Because there's someone in that group that your life can make an impact in theirs dynamically and powerfully. They need you. They need you. So I want to encourage you to be a part of a life group. So this weekend services, life groups, and growth track. What's growth track? It really unpacks who we are. It's our mission. It's our vision in deeper and more detail. It helps you understand who you are in Christ, your spiritual gifts, how you can be used of the Lord. It's how to be a follower of Christ. Five simple steps on how to follow Jesus. Every one of us who've not been through growth track, you need to be through go through growth track. It starts the fifteenth of September. So be a part of that. Be a part of it. So when I think about these, and then it's dream team. Those who serve, I desire that, I, it's my hope that everybody at some point at Crossroads Church some, serves in some capacity. We have a lot of folks serving. At Easter, we had about 125 people serve that particular day just to make the day happen. We had 73 people who gave up a week of their life to serve at VBS. Way to go. It is my hope that everybody serves in some capacity. All right, so why do we talk about vision? I want to give you five reasons why we talk about vision. The first one is this. We talk about vision because we imagine a church that our kids and our grandkids want to attend. I want that to just settle for a second. Approximately seven out of 10 evangelical high school students who grew up in an evangelical church just like this, when they graduate high school, turn away from the faith, never to return. Do you hear that? Seven out of 10. Seven out of 10. That has to stop. And we have a responsibility as a church to provide the very best biblical instruction and care and love over our children that we possibly can so that they cannot wait to get to this place to hear the good news of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I have parents go out the door saying, my kids love this place. I ask them this question often, especially as a guest, a child is a guest. I said, did you have fun? And they go, yes, yes. And they have carrying all their stuff. And it's, it's so exciting. I have parents tell me, thank you for what you do. They love it. They'll ask me on Thursday, is today the day we go to church? No, not today. It's a couple more days. They don't want to leave. They want to be here. Praise God. I want that more and more and more. We can do better. We can do better. We're doing great, but we can do better. We can continue to push this forward. Why? Because I want this to be a place where our kids, our grandkids, our teenagers desire to be a part of what God is doing. Second, we, do, we talk about vision because we want to be a church that our, that we want, that our friends want to attend. You know something, I want, I, I, I have to, I'm going to confess to you this way. I need to do this for service. You guys are really lucky. Or unlucky, I don't know which it is. But here's the deal. There have honestly been some churches that I have served as a pastor that if I didn't serve there, I wouldn't go there. Let that hold a moment. You say, really? Uh-huh. I remember telling somebody about a church that we were a part of. And they were saying, where is the church that I should go to? I didn't even invite him to mine. You say, Gary, that's, that's crazy. Uh-huh. But I'm just being honest. I want Crossroads Church to be the place where you walk out this door and you say, I am so proud to be a part of this community of faith. There are people here who will love you. The, the preaching of God's word is directly from God's word. The worship is awesome. You have an opportunity. I want us to be excited about what God is doing here. You see, third reason, the third reason is it because we want this place to be a place where people who don't feel welcome today feel welcome tomorrow. Loneliness is a huge issue. Approximately 40% of Americans deal with loneliness. Think about that for a moment. 43% of senior adults are lonely on a regular basis. Now, this is, this is the statistic, and I pulled these statistics from a January 19th, or January of, of 19, an article from Health Resources and Services Administration. And this is what they concluded. Loneliness is more dangerous than obesity and is as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
When I look at Crossroads Church, my desire is that when people walk in here, they're loved, they're embraced, and they find a friend. And not just a friend for a moment, but a friend for life. You see, the reality is every one of us in this room have a responsibility to care for everyone that we have an opportunity to connect with. I say it, and Amanda said it this morning again. When you greet somebody, when you come in this place, don't just greet the people you drove with. Find others and make yourself available to them. Reach out to them. Connect with them. They need you, and you need them. Let's be a church that, that welcomes, that welcomes folks. Number four, why are we talking about vision? Because we love Christ and the world he died for and have a passion for those who don't know him yet. I want to see people come to faith. What did I talk about? I want to see a person come to faith every day of the year. I, I believe that God can do that. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19. He said, the Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. That's all we're doing. We want to do what Jesus did. CRC, that's my abbreviation, I apologize. Crossroads Church exists to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. Some of that following takes place in the connections and the communication that happens in the lobby and in this room. You see, there are tens of thousands of people in this valley who just need to connect with somebody. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. And I want, us to, I want us to continue to even be better as time goes forward. And then number five, we, do, we talk about vision because we desire increased capacity. And vision inspires faith. I, I would say it this way. You know, am I ever going to be satisfied with the attendance at Crossroads Church? Nope. You say, what? Really? Nope. As long as there's one person in this valley that doesn't know Jesus, I'm not satisfied. God has called us to reach. God has called us for our capacity to increase. I'm not satisfied with status quo. I'm not satisfied with what we did yesterday. I want to believe that God can continue to push us forward and enlarge our capacity. I pray every day, every day, I pray the Jabez prayer that says, Jabez cried to the Lord, to, out to God, the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. I pray that over our church. God, bless us again and again and again and enlarge our territory, all for the glory of your kingdom. I pray that every day, and I'm believing for that, believing for that, that God would expand our capacity and allow our faith to grow, allow our faith to grow. Over the last couple of years, I've, I've laid out some goals, some we've been able to accomplish and some that we just aren't able to do because of certain uh, regulations that we don't meet or a variety of things, relationships that aren't what they were and nothing bad, it's just things that we can't do and I understand that. But, what, but as, I, as I was praying and believing for this year, what strikes me is, is not what more we can do. It's not so much that but how we would ensure that what God has done continues in strength. Because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that God has done great things over the last 30 years. And we are just building upon the foundations that have been laid by previous leadership. And I'm so grateful for that. But I want to make sure that what we do continues forward with the blessing and the anointing of God resting upon what we do. We're going to do a bunch of new things eventually, uh, from time to time. We're going to take risks and we're going to have some fun and do things to reach people. Why would we do that? Because what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, I become all things to all people. I did this so that I could save people in any way possible. I do all of this to make the good news known. So we're going to do over a lot of creative things. However, I want to make sure that what we have stays in place. Came across a story the past couple of weeks that I thought was fascinating. You may never have heard of this little town. Rodney, Mississippi. In fact, probably not many have. You have to do a little bit of research on Rodney to even find it. But when Rodney was founded... You know, probably back in the uh, mid to late 18th century, 
one particular individual kind of bought the land and, and began to develop a town. He named it after his friend Rodney, as a matter of fact. And when they founded the town, it was on the Mississippi River. Now, significant, what is significant about that, if you go to that region of the country even today, if you're on the Mississippi, it is a very significant place. Why? Because commerce flows up and down the Mississippi. And so many of the towns that are on the Mississippi River, you know, there's, uh, there's oil refineries, there's manufacturing, there's shipping that moves back and forth out to, you know, out to the ocean and on to various other ports. Well, Rodney, Mississippi was on was on the Mississippi River, and it became a very prominent city, life, a very lively city, vibrant commerce. And in fact, when Mississippi was voting for which city would become the capital of Mississippi, it lost by three votes to Jackson. So you can see how prominent the city was. Now, about a, maybe 100, 150 years after its founding, something like that, uh, something happened that really the, the, the city fathers and those who were living there really didn't notice. But as time went on, silt and debris began to build up in the, sea, in the river port where the city was located. To the extent that if you go to Rodney, Mississippi today, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find a ghost town. That little brick church that you see in the background is a Presbyterian church. Its roof has collapsed. It's a... It's a historical site, but it's no longer maintained. There may be a few people who live there. But you see what happened is because of all of the debris and the silt and the sand, something happened. The Mississippi River changed course. It's now three miles away. So it lost its source of vibrancy. All because of debris. Because of the distractions of things. And the city fathers were inattentive to what was there. They didn't preserve that which maintained the vibrant life of Rodney. And today you have a ghost town. God forbid that we as a congregation of people, that I as your pastor would be inattentive to the things that got us to where we are and that we do not continue to fully proclaim them as, as they should be proclaimed, that the, the distractions all of the stuff that we can do. They can be good things, but all of the distractions, the debris can begin to pile up to where there comes a point when we have, we have moved away from God and we didn't even notice it had happened. God help us. And let me just take it one step farther. God help each of us when the distractions of life, the debris, the sin, creeps into our life and we're not attentive to it and it begins to separate us from the life of God so much to the point that after a while we don't even know that we're miles away from God God help us if we allow the debris to keep us from being or experiencing the full and abundant life that God has available for us so what must we do to ensure that a life-giving and vibrant faith, free of debris, is always what characterizes Crossroads Church? We're going to talk about that for a few moments this morning. And I know we're going to go, we're just be prepared. We're going to go a little bit over today, so just hang on to your seats. Buckle, I wish we had those seat, bu- seat belts. We could just buckle again and... The book of Acts gives us some wonderful glimpses of life in the early church. So I want to read one verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Father, I pray these moments that we have speak life to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things I want to talk about. Before I do that, the idea of being devoted, what does that mean? That's really the key word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Devoted means to be steadfastly attentive to, to persevere, to do so constantly. So this is something that's just repeated. It doesn't go away. If you're devoted to something, you just don't move away from it. It's always in front of you. It's always in front of you. I'd like to think that I'm devoted to keeping myself in good physical shape. Now, if I'm devoted to that, something happens. 
I do it constantly. Why? Because I'm, I want to persevere in that. I want the outcomes of this. And I believe what we'll see is we see some incredible outcomes that happen in that first church. And I believe that we can experience the same. So what should we be devoted to? The first we sh- thing we should be devoted to is the apostles' teaching. What is this? It's a proclamation, a- an uncompromised proclamation of the word of God. We've got, we must remain, and I, I believe we do this, but we must remain as a church that is dedicated to the proclamation of God's word. It has to be the centerpiece of who we are. If not, what's going to happen? Silt and debris is going to build up. It's God's word that makes the difference in your life and in mine. It's what directs us for for the things that each of us will face in life. Amos chapter 8, I love the minor prophets. Amos chapter 8, listen, it's a startling verse. Time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread and water, but what? But of hearing the words of the Lord. And that is, that's incredibly powerful. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. The reality is, I think many, not, I'm not saying anybody here, but I think many simply hear the word of the Lord, and that's as far as it goes. There's a hearing, but there's no acting upon what we've heard. Because this, the, the, what is optimum here is the word hearing. It's far more than just being aware of the words and the concepts. Obedience is connecting, is connected to hearing the word of the Lord. It's acting upon what God's word says. So when God's word is proclaimed, it's not just hearing it. It's saying, what are you saying to me, Lord, through your word? And how can I apply it to my life? How can I live this out? Because that's where the vibrant life of faith is found. But when we're not obedient, the debris piles up. The sin that so easily entangles, as the writer of Hebrews says, it just works its way into our life. And I think one of the most vulnerable to the famine of hearing the word of the Lord is our children and our teenagers. Parents, you need to move heaven and earth to keep your kids and your teenagers connected to the things of faith. If you've got to change everything in your life to make sure that happens, do it. Don't, let's not be a parent. Let's not be a grandparent that looks at our children and go, my God, what happened? Where are they? No, I realize the grace of God is marvelous and he protects and he helps. I get that. But you know something? I have a responsibility as a dad, as a grandfather, to do everything I can to point my children in the ways of the Lord. In the month of September, I'm going to do the first message in the series of Curious is how to build a healthy family. And then in February of next year, we're doing an entire family series. It is important, relationships and family. You need to be a part of this. God's word has something to say about your family and mine, and he will help us if we not just hear the word, but apply the word and obey what God's word says. You know, I'm startled when I read it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says it, and I'm going to tell you, we're living right here. We're living here. The time will come when people will not listen to the true teaching but people will find more and more teachers who please them. They'll find teachers who say what they want to hear. People will stop listening to the truth. They'll begin to follow the teaching in false stories. That's where we live. and We have an obligation to continue to be devoted to the proclamation of God's word. Second, we need to be devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. Now, fellowship is the word koinonia, and koinonia just means sharing or intimacy and community. We need to be about community. You know, I need you. I need you in my life. And I'm going to say the second part, you need me. You go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That, you know, that other side, good, but that, I'm not going to go. No, we need each other because the life of faith is not lived in isolation. It's lived in community. It's lived in intimacy and sharing. It's lived in fellowship. That's why life groups are so important. I'm really grateful for what happens on a Sunday morning like this. It's so much fun to be together and worship and celebrate and all that. It's great. But you know something? We need this, but we also need the small setting where we can be 
We, we can let our guard down. We can begin to share on a different level. I was thinking this past week, and I, I hadn't thought of this in decades, literally decades. The first time that I was, that, that the gifts of the Spirit, that I was operating in the gifts of the Spirit was in a small group. It was the first place that ever happened. And I think, that's exactly right. That's what a life group provides the opportunity because there's relationship. There's an understanding of what happens in the context of a small group. And so you need it. But also the small group needs each one of you. We talk about connections at Crossroads, and I think we do a good job of connecting. But, you know, I got to, I got to thinking about this, and I just want to share these things real quick with you. It takes three minutes for a first-time guest to decide whether they like our church. Three minutes. That's a little bit of pressure. But let's, we can do this. Because I know you guys. You guys are amazing. Let that amazing personality that God has given you just flourish. And be life to someone. They need, they need that life that you have. It takes, and that what these friends need is security with a smile. It takes three visits for a first-time guest to commit to regular attendance. And what these friends need is to know they can make a difference. Oh, excuse me. What these friends need, they need is a connection with meaning. It takes three months of regular attendance to commit to partners, to be a partner. This is what these friends need is to know that they can make a difference. And then finally, it takes three years for a committed attendee partner to know whether they will stay or move on. Wow. What these friends need is to know that they are empowered and have significant relationships. Let's determine today on August 25th, 2019 that we as Crossroads Church will be a welcoming church. That everybody who walks in this door will be loved and cared for and welcomed with the goodness of God and the true expression of the love of God through our lives. It will make a difference in someone's life, and you can be the difference in their life. Don't, don't relegate this just to the greeters. No, that's the greeter's job. Not going to do it. Ushers, nope, not going there. It's their job. Their job. I'll get to that in a minute. Being a welcoming church is a matter of the heart, not just a change of actions. It's a heart matter. Listen to what Romans 12 says. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I wonder if we come to worship on a Sunday eager to practice hospitality. I'm going today, and I am going to make someone's day. When's the last time you said that? Don't answer that question. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. In other words, when someone comes in and maybe they're just downcast, Maybe as you walk up and say, what's going on? Well, I'd rather, no, I'm here to pray with you, man. I'll, I'll do not, if you don't want to say, it's okay, let me just pray with you. And you grab their hands and you begin to pray and they begin to weep. And you begin to weep. What has happened? You have made a connection that can change them for eternity. But listen to this one. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. You love me? Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. There's like three of you that do. The rest, ah, uh, Okay. Listen to this. This is great. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm not going to let the greeters do it. I'm not going to be friendly no matter what he says. Grumbling. No, 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 no. It's a whole different change of attitude, isn't it? It's a heart matter. It's not actions. I can reach out my hand and shake somebody's hand and that's as far as it goes. But we need to go beyond that to deeper connections with a person because it's that connection that will change their life. The third thing is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And I've, I've considered this. I wonder why this was what they were devoted to. Now, there's a lot connected to the breaking of bread. It was both done in homes. There was both the communion or the Lord's Supper, and then there was also a common meal that would be shared. It's all part of that. But they were devoted to it. So I got to thinking about it. And really, here's what I would say. It's, it's really the heart of the gospel that's proclaimed here. They're, they're devoted to the heart of the gospel. You say, well, Gary, what, what exactly do you mean? 
really two things. First, it's the priority of the cross. Because when you, when you, come, when you get right down to it, when, you do the, when we do the Lord's Supper, it's the message of the cross. It's remembering what Jesus did on Calvary and what that means to us. Please understand how powerful what Paul said actually is. The message about the cross, 1 Corinthians, doesn't make any sense to lost people. But for those of us who are being saved, it is God's power at work. We as a church must prioritize the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is what has changed our life. Jesus gave his life for me and for you on the cross. And it has to be priority number one. The cross is the power of God unto salvation. Without the cross, where would we be? We'd be lost and hopeless. So you see, the church knew it. They devoted themselves to the heart of the gospel, the cross. Billy Graham said it this way, the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. Hallelujah. And the second part of this is, just, is the regular participation in communion. You know, why is that important? Again, Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You see, you and I need to be reminded again and again and again of the heart of the gospel. I need that on a regular basis. I need to be reminded that Jesus sacrificed, his suffering, his sacrifice on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and his return, it needs to be right in the forefront of my thinking at all times. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ happens when we gather around the table of the Lord. It's the heart of the gospel. But even as a secondary thing, and I found this, I just kept coming back to that this, this week. We're doing baptism in a couple of weeks, and I'm just going to say it again. I'm saying it again. If you have followed Jesus Christ as Savior and you have not been baptized, it's time to be baptized. No excuses. Get it done. I'm going to say it again. Get it done. I make no apology for saying it that way. Get it done. Because it's a matter of obedience. And you see, I believe that's part of what is here. When, when they said they were devoted to this, they were, Jesus said, do this. Do this. So they did it. When he said about baptizing, he said, do this. It's a matter of obedience. It's important for us to follow the Lord in, do, in communion, in the Lord's Supper, but also in baptism. And then finally, they were devoted to prayer. Prayer. I tell you, nothing, nothing of, of great value is going to happen unless it has the foundation of prayer. We need, we need people who will pray. And I'm so grateful for our prayers among us. And I'm grateful we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and We'll conclude that next week. And then in January, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I, I'm looking forward to that. God's putting some things on my heart for that. It's going to be a wonderful time. But we need to be people who pray. I'm going to go through these very, very quickly. First Chronicles 16, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Matthew 7, ask and it be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. First Thessalonians 5, pray continually. First Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. James 5, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Jude 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Oswald Chambers said it very, very well. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. There's nothing as important as, great, there's nothing as, important as prayer. We have to be people who pray but we also need to be people of prayer. So we must be devoted to it. It, ne it needs to be more than just prayer before our meals. It needs to be more than just the prayer before we go to bed. This needs to be something that just continually rolls out of our life, that we are literally praying at all times. So I'm asking this morning as really a tangible way for to commit, commit to this next season is I'm looking for 100 prayer partners who will join me, who will pray every day for the seven things that I've already mentioned. The 1, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, 1 million. 
want you to stop by the info center. You'll get a special wristband. It's a special wristband. Only 100, there's only 100 of them out there. I'm not even going to take one because I want 100 individuals who will commit to praying. But you got to pray every day for those seven things. There's a little information sheet. It'll tell you how to, what to do. But then also you put your name on the dotted line. But I'm just going to tell you, don't sign up unless you mean it. You say, well, wow, okay. No, I'm serious. I want you to pray. But I'm asking for specific individuals who will walk with me every day as I pray through those seven items of prayer along with the prayer of Jabez. God, bless me and bless us again and again and again and enlarge our territory. Keep us from harm and keep us from pain in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. I want you to pray that every day passionately with faith, believing. I'm asking, I'm looking for a hundred. I'm looking for a hundred I believe that God will allow us, I believe we'll find it. And I'm going to ask you, are you in? Be a part of it. What are the outcomes of that? Okay, there it is. Those are the things we're devoted to. What are the outcomes? Let me read the the final part of Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness in their hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I have studied this passage, I don't know, over the years, dozens if not hundreds of times. I've never seen it like I saw it this week, the last two weeks. I look at these things as being outcomes of what they were devoted to. I believe what happens when we're devoted to the right things, something happens. The debris is pushed aside. The distractions, we don't don't entertain them. We keep them at arm's length. We just don't entertain them. We allow a filter like we introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow it. We let that filter to actually work. And it keeps things from, it keeps the debris from building up that would prevent us from having that, ex, that marvelous and vibrant life of God that God has for us. You see, they were filled with awe. Miracles were a natural occurrence. Generosity was commonplace. They met in large and small gatherings. Let me just stop here for a second. I'm so grateful that you're here today, and I'm so grateful that you're a part of a life group, and make sure that you stop by and you're a part of it, but understand something. I am continue to be concerned as your pastor about the decreasing attendance on the weekends. I know that's a trend nationally, but you know something? I believe that we don't have to abide by national trends. I believe that we can be trendsetters. I believe that we can gather together on a regular basis for the glory of God and to hear what God has to say to us collectively as a church. Say, oh, okay, that's a little tight. Ron Edmondson is a pastor. I found this quote, I thought it was great. He said, I've never seen decreasing attendance lead to increasing devotion. Doesn't work that way. You see, we are not, as Hebrews chapter 10 says, we are not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, but all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. We are, I may not suggest that we meet here every day as they did in the first century, but I'm telling you, this gathering on Sunday is absolutely essential to your life of faith. You want to keep the distractions, you want to keep the debris from building up in your life, and you need to be in a place where the corporate worship of God goes forward and the presence of the Holy Holy Spirit is here and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is working on our life to clean out the junk in our life so that we have the vibrant life that God has promised us. I don't want us at some point to look back and say, I didn't even notice I was miles away from God. God help us. And you go on, there was genuine community, there was praise to God, there was gladness and joy were normal. The favor of God and the people was evident. And people were saved every day. I'm telling you, I believe God can do this again at Crossroads Church. And I want us together to journey this life of faith and believe for above and beyond what we have seen, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. So how did they do it? What did they do? So here's a phrase. Don't write this down, but just look at it. There's two phrases. One you're going to fill in, one you're just going to, but they're identical. But they're different in focus. First one is this. How'd they do it? Because they focused determinedly on the right priorities and remained committed to them. 
It produced clarity and resulted in a life-giving faith. That's what happened. That's what they did. That's what happened. So here's what I want for you individually. Same phrase, but look at it. It's a little different. I want you to focus determinedly on right priorities. Remain connect, committed to them. It will produce clarity and result in a life-giving faith. That's my prayer for you and for Crossroads Church. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Help us. Help us to accomplish your desires, not our own. But Lord, we have a responsibility this to be devoted to the right things, to, const- to be constant and to persevere and to be attentive to. So help us to do that. So I thank you that we can gather together now as the church and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the servers to come. And as they come, you're going to need to multitask here, okay? Can you do that? Well, nobody can multitask. It's scary. I know you can. We're going to need to multitask. Here we go. Come on, gentlemen, guys, gals. I want you to take the elements, hold them until everybody's been served. But I want to talk through a couple of things because it's really important that we, we come right back to what the first church did, at least to a degree. So we have bread and a cup. And remember, they were devoted to it. They were devoted to it. They're devoted to this, this proclamation of the heart of the gospel. So now you fast forward about, I don't know, 30, 35 years or so to the church in Corinth, a church that was crazy in a lot of ways. They were, they were exuberant, but they were doing some really some off-the-wall stuff. So they wrote the Apostle Paul. He said, help us. We have some questions. So he answered those questions. And then he gets to chapter 11, and he says, and now about the table of the Lord, essentially. He said, gave them a number of instructions. And as he gave them instructions, he came to this, he came to this point. And there's what he said. And this is where you got to multitask. So hold with me. Hold with me. You can hear this. And you can grab stuff too. He said, a man or a person needs to examine himself before you take this. So what does that have to do with this morning? Well, here's here's the point. The only thing that we ask this morning for you to participate with us in the Lord's Supper is that you know Jesus. He's your Savior, Lord. That's all we ask. You don't have to be a partner of the church. You just have to know Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, because there's a lot of debris in your life, that separated, it's called sin. It separates you from the life that we find in God. That's what sin does. Sin is a separator. Ah, but God has provided a way. It's called the cross to bring life. And it's a matter of us, if we don't know Jesus, is to say, Jesus, forgive me, be my Savior. And I declare you as Lord of my life. Take charge. That's what it requires. It's that simple, yes, but it's profound because when you pray with integrity, everything changes. But some of us this morning, and this is what's so important. Paul was talking to a church. He was talking to believers. And he said, you should examine yourself before you do this. So this is for every one of us. This is why it's so important. When the early church said you've got to be devoted to this, and then it is on a regular basis, the regular participation that we once again engage with what? The heart of the gospel message. You and I, because of the distractions of our life and all the stuff and the pressures from outside and inside and the temptations that are constantly bombarding us, The debris can build up really quick and separate us from the life that God has for us. But gratefully, there's an opportunity 
every month at least, if not more often, to take these emblems and to remember that Jesus was broken for us, that Jesus gave his life for us, that we can be restored in fellowship with God the Father into a life that is vibrant and full and marvelous simply by once again saying, Jesus, forgive me. Rededicate myself to you. Why would Paul say it if it wasn't something that he understood we would walk with again and again and again? The Apostle John would say later to another church, he would say, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's not to an unbeliever, that's to a believer. Because the distractions of life and the debris pile up I don't know how strong these elements are, but I have a feeling they're far stronger than we could ever imagine this side of eternity. This is not just a ritual or routine that we hold in our hands of bread and juice, but rather this connects us with the proclamation and the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is serious. Why? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And that's a life free of sin and distraction and debris. So this morning, we're going to pray. I want you right now to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, examine me. Examine me. Take a look at my life. Take a look at my life, Lord. How am I doing? This debris crept in. The distractions of life just so separated me from the vibrant life that you have for me. Am I buying into stuff that I don't need to be buying into? Thinking it's going to give me something that it doesn't ever give me. I don't want to be like Rodney, Mississippi and not even know that I'm separated from God. So in this place this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to just say this, Jesus, forgive me. Everybody in the room, just say, Jesus, forgive me. Come on, let's say it, Jesus, forgive me. Lord, for every one of us, that's our prayer. And for those in the room who may never have prayed a prayer to receive you as Savior, I pray today they'll do that. They'll do that. Lord, that in these moments, there would just be a sovereign connection, a connection with you, sovereign God. Let it be so. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. I know you got stuff in your hands, but you're saying this morning, just by raising your head and looking at me, that there's been distractions, there has been stuff, there's been sin, there's been all kinds of things that have been severing that relationship with God. You know it, it's the debris that has piled up, and today it's going away. In the name of Jesus, if that's you, look up right now, meet me eye to eye. Yes, yes, God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. All around the room, yes, yes. Yes, in Jesus' name, I see that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray, oh God, right now. Sovereign God, you by your spirit are doing a work that I cannot do. So grateful for what you are doing. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. And once again, we declare you Savior, but we also declare you Lord. Take charge of our life. You, on the, on the authority of your word, I proclaim this morning that if we confess, you will forgive. So, Lord, we confess and we believe that you will forgive. Thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray that as we hold these elements in our hand this morning, we'll understand their power, their potency. Lord, you were broken so that we could be whole. Sacrifice your life so we could be saved and have hope for eternity. You were resurrected so that we could have new life. And Lord, you're coming again so that we have a destiny. Hallelujah. And every time we take this bread and we take this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. 
We proclaim your teaching, your life, your death, your sacrifice, your resurrection, and that you one day will come for us. So Lord, this morning we take these elements with gratitude for all you are and all you have done. In Jesus' name, let us take the bread together. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness, the scripture tells us. So this morning, we remember your sacrifice on the cross. Let it remain the centerpiece of our life and of our church. We give you honor and praise today. We thank you for the sacrifice of your life on the cross for us. You laid down your life for us. We're so grateful. The Lord, you... But just as, again, the scriptures declare, your body didn't see decay, but three days later you came victoriously from the grave. Hallelujah. You gave us hope. Our sins are absolutely forgiven. We have hope because you're alive today. And Lord, I'm looking forward to the day when you come once again to receive us to yourself in the place you prepared. We give you honor and praise. Let us take the drink together, please.